I'm Christian Chiller. Welcome to my podcast, an enthusiastic ramble through whatever has taken my interest the past week or so. Expect technology, games, history, travel, geekery, and as always, much, much more. Welcome everybody. A short roundup of links this week before I get into the interview I had with Josh Koenig of Pantheon, which was quite interesting. I remember Pantheon from my uh, from my Drupal days, and uh, we spoke a lot about the past, present, and future of content delivery, and what where they came from, what they have been doing, and what they're about to do with the the proliferation of new ways of managing and providing content. So that was an interesting chat. But first, let's have a few links. Now, this is something um, it relates nicely to an interview I'll have next week with Jetpack, who have built some tools on top of NixOS. And this is from John Leonard in computing.co.uk. After 20 years, our developers are now ready for Nix. Now, Nix is an operating system and this, well, yes, it's an operating system that lets you sort of recreate as much as possible from configuration files, everything as code. I published a post on Medium a couple of weeks ago relating somewhat to this, where I attempted to do this on macOS, and it sort of works. But NixOS is designed from the ground up, and it's existed for 20 years. But companies like Jetpack and also Flux are all now attracting funding and interest in doing this on a commercial scale. I think a lot of this relates to the concept of SBOMs, a software bill of materials. You can literally have an SBOM for an operating system. And um, yeah, it's an interesting time. And I think sometimes, you know, like containers were nothing new and then Docker just popularized it. So there's... There's, there's an aspect where sometimes a technology can exist for a while, but it's time comes and then people step in to commercialize it. But Nix OS as, as a concept has been around for a while and I will be producing some learning live streams or some edited videos. I'm not sure yet looking at the various things in the ecosystem, I think, uh, because I find it quite an interesting idea as much as is possible in virtual machines anyway. Next, uh, this was reported quite widely, but I will refer to Danny Palmer on ZDNet. What actually happened to LastPass? I haven't used LastPass for some time, mostly because I started finding the application so damn ugly, and I'm very happy with 1Password. But uh, yes, a lot of other people have been moving away from it recently for other reasons, uh, very justifiable reasons. And um, they finally revealed months later what happened. But it was basically a sort of social engineering attack against a senior engineer, and then they gained access into all sorts of things from there. So, as always, it's always uh, your everything is strong as its weakest link, and that was their weakest link. But yes, why they took so long to tell people, I think, is everyone's main reservation. I'd be very interested to know the financial hit that has come to LastPass because of this, and the converse upsurge that has come to OnePassword and Bitwarden and others because of it too. But I'm not sure if they would release those figures, or maybe uh, Bitwarden and OnePassword might. But <laughs> I don't know about LastPass. Next, of course, it would not be a tech show without a quick mention of ChatGPT. Firstly, this is from SE Island over on Medium. As a technical writer, I am worried about ChatGPT. As a technical writer, I guess I am a little as well. 
Although I will admit that still ignoring a lot of the procedural stuff and the sort of API reference type documentation that, yeah, I think is is ripe for disruption thanks to AIs. There's a lot of the other content of how to piece it all together that still needs a human touch or maybe like many other industries, we're going to be more editors now. Uh, I have been experimenting with using some of these tools, especially Copilot, and it does help me um, it helps me brainstorm ways of writing paragraphs and things like that. And I will admit that, but for generating entire documentation, not quite yet. We'll see, I suppose. Um, but it's definitely that one area of the writing world that is probably more exposed than others. Um, but then we said creative writing wasn't, which leads nicely to my final link for the week, which again was widely reported, but this is uh, referencing Liam Tung again from ZDNet. Sci-Fi Magazine, this is um, Clark's World, a pretty well-known one. Halts new submissions after a surge in AI written stories, and I don't think they were the only ones. So, and also Amazon has been doing a similar thing. It varies whether people are actually crediting ChatGPT or not, but it's it's people are flooding uh, submission systems with with uh, things they have partially written. Um, and I will admit, as someone who's currently trying to submit stories, which are somewhat in the science fiction genre, two places, it's very hard right now because, um, yeah, <laughs> the, everyone's getting uh, flooded with, with, uh, with, with submissions and it's very hard. It's always been hard for first-time writers to get a look in. And now <laughs> we're also getting pushed out the way by people using AIs. So great times to be a writer. You, as a, as a creative writer, you have a head start ahead of all these systems, but at the same time, you're being pushed out the way by people using them. Uh, so what can you do? I do feel like there's a lot of this discussion around AI and creative process that is not talked about much. It's a very engineering perspective in that creative people sometimes like that process. We like to go through the the pain, the work to create worlds and inhabit them and, and work within them. And then having other people who I, I don't know if they do or don't appreciate that, just sort of flooding your industry with with things written by machines is, is yeah. I'm not the only one to say this, but it's um it's a little uh yeah. <laughs> it's it's affecting in a in a different way, in a way that these systems are affecting technical writing in a very sort of replacement way, but then affecting creative writing kind of in a spam way. And uh, there will, I think a lot of this will, people will tire of, of doing this. It's always the way with spam, you know, when everyone was on Zoom, we had Zoom bombers and then people got tired with that. So there's always people wanting to ruin the internet for everybody else, but after a while they get bored and they move on. Now is my interview with Josh Koenig from Pantheon, where we talk about the past present and my, definitely my past and my present and my future because I'm a very content heavy person of managing delivering content enjoy today I am joined by Josh Koenig Koenig um depends where you're from um I have learned to pronounce this umlaut e oe so just about <laughs> and uh Josh is from Pantheon I know Pantheon pretty well from the past, but before we get to that, maybe you could explain what Pantheon is now, and we can dig into some more detail from there. 
Yeah, yeah, sure. Thanks, Chris. Uh, great to be here. So um, Pantheon is, as, as we describe it, a website operations or web ops platform. And kind of what that means to unpack it a little bit is we help our customers apply the proven practices of DevOps to the particularly thorny and sometimes complex use case of running websites at scale. So like that means both very large websites that receive a ton of traffic and also large web portfolios where you have lots and lots of individual sites. Mm -hmm. So we combine the workflows that teams need to iterate on those sites at high velocity with the, you know, serverless cloud-based platform that allows them to scale both in terms of traffic and number of instances. And then for our biggest customers, we provide a lot of extra governance values. So like you kind of, they can have their cake and eat it too, or they can let individual groups, uh, teams, departments, product lines, what have you run with their own instance, but they can kind of have a bird's eye view on everything that's going on and maintain central components in a, in a, in a well-governed way. And all those things combine to let us, you know, support, you know, about 20,000 professional teams on a weekly basis using our platform to manage, you know, hundreds of thousands of sites that are collectively reaching billions of unique visitors a month. Um, primarily the, the platforms built around sites that, um, that leverage Drupal or WordPress open source content management systems. We have deep experience with those. And we're also adding support for next generation JavaScript front ends as well, because that's, that's an exciting, uh, development in our industry that I think is going to be a big deal for the next, you know, 10 years for sure. And we want to help customers that are moving in that direction do so again with all those benefits of speed, uh, safety and governance. Yeah. And this is where I remember Pantheon in the past. I have a past life in the Drupal world. Um, yeah. Some time ago. So I guess Pantheon has been around for a while. So maybe we, well, in relative terms. So maybe we could quickly go into um, what, what was the origin story for the company in the first place? Sure, sure. Yeah, it's it's a a, a fun story. So, uh, my co-founders and I, we all sort of came up professionally in the the early to mid two thousands, and we had founded our own digital agency. Um, and you know, around uh, at the time, Drupal primarily, open web stuff more generally, but kind of built this practice around Drupal. Um, and between you know, like two thousand six and two thousand ten, you know, grew the agency up to about thirty. people people or so working with larger and larger customers, more and more complex projects, uh, you know, projects where you're having, you know, there's developers on the client side, multiple agencies are being brought in. And um, while the projects themselves were really different because they had different use cases and different designs and were serving different purposes, we were putting in place kind of the same fundamental workflow and platform for each one in order to be successful with multiple developers and also to have like a cadence for doing continuous integration and continuous deployment so that we could keep, you know, we could iterate quickly even after the site launched. Um, and then we also are involved in the community and we started looking around and seeing people who weren't able to put this structure in place would often have projects go off the rails, right? And, you know, people who have been in the business, like we've all been there, right? Like, so you're behind on your 
timeline. The launch is looming. You bring in another subcontractor to try to speed things up, but it actually slows things down because people are stepping on each other's toes. And so then you're pushing really hard to get the site live for launch and you do, but then something's wrong and it's like a fire drill to get it stable or fix it. And then, you know, two weeks later, you're finally in a good place for now, but the site build itself is now like the end of a game of Jenga, right? And nobody really wants to make the next move. And, uh, and, and people are upset. Like, you know, you, 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 you launch late and have trouble with that. Like clients may not pay you. And so, so it's all these kind of negative things that occur when you don't have this like fundamental operations piece in place first. And, and we were doing this as like pretty pricey enterprise consulting, right? It was not something that would, could be widely available to the market because you can't pay our team to spend two months doing this ahead of you getting like a single web page built. So, but we realized that that part, that part of our practice was just getting more and more and more refined, right? The sites were very different, but that operations practice was really dialing in and we're like, Hey, we have an opportunity to do something different here. We can start a new business. We can turn this into a service instead of, you know, services, uh, and run it like a SaaS business. And, and that's what we set out to do starting in 2010. It took us a while to get onto the market with our, you know, not like a, a real scalable product in 2012. But since then we've just been growing and growing because there is really this big need for, um, the underlying operational components to be in place for people to get the benefit that they want from a website or a content mm-hmm. management system. Mm-hmm. So the back in the back in the Drupal days, this is obviously a while ago, DevOps and CI, CD and things like that were kind of early visions. And especially with those complex CMSs, CMS, sorry, um, it was always fraught. And I think companies like like Pantheon were the first people to actually try to figure out some practices about how to make that possible. but to be honest with you, a lot of people just still kept doing things somewhat manually and a little bit sort of uh, seller tape and, and stuff like that. Um, and now, whew, well, at least in the timeline you just mentioned, more than 10 years later, we now have you know, proper, uh, very well-defined processes. You're talking about a serverless CMS, kind of almost the other complete end of something like Drupal. So what what do you think has been some of the biggest changes in that period to bring you bring you to where you are but bring also the industry to where it is well i i i think that um in that time period you know um when we first started amazon web services and ec2 was still relatively new mm-hmm. and frankly at the at the time that we started we didn't build on aws we built out our first uh, version of our platform and ran for the first 5 years of the company on rackspace because ec2 at the time actually was kind of yeah poor for a web <laughs> workload uh, they, yeah. their their performance characteristics weren't great and so i think what's happened one of the big things like a macro trend in that decade is that public clouds have become you know assumed like there's still a ton of people that are that are in the process of migrating things around but it's assumed that most people are building on a public cloud and the public yep. clouds have improved their services tremendously uh over the years to meet the the needs of the kind of website workload and um so that's that is one big thing so the building blocks are just much much better than they used to be and yeah. our service and then and people have gotten more confident with that there are you know at the beginning it was very very 
it was always a challenge to get someone to kind of release the control that they had when they were doing everything by hand and trust us as a platform to like make this like because the, the, everybody knows the servers are actually still there. It's not serverless. There's, <laughs> but, but we, we make yeah. them go away as a concern. And so early on, people were like, oh, that's not possible. You can't do that. What if this? What if that? What if that? And so you kind of we had to build, you know, both the industry had to get more comfortable with this broadly and we had to build up our credibility. And then I think the other thing is um, you started to see plenty of people that are not our customers uh, and, and, you know, maybe, maybe never will be, but validating and improving on this, this, this idea of applying these practices to this use case. So it's not like you have to use Pantheon to do web ops. Like you can totally set up your own. Um, it's a lot, it's a fair amount of work, but there may be good reasons for you to do that. You might have something special in your use case, or you might need to be still in an on-prem environment or, or you might have a, some integrations that require you to use a, a very particular uh, set of tools in your stack. But the, the idea of, you know, it's become less and less and less acceptable to think of the kind of cowboy coding approach to implementing web properties. Um, you know, we, we, we are also, you know, added support pretty early on for WordPress and there's an interesting kind of, I don't know, there's an interesting distinction in terms of how people think of work. Cause one of the things that makes WordPress super awesome is like, it has this plugin manager and you can just go in there and click buttons and add functionality to your site. But under the hood, you're actually like installing new software uh, on a running website. And so there's a, there's a set of people where that's tremendously valuable for the admin user to self manage their own software which it, but that is kind of like a form of cowboy coding versus people who want to treat WordPress as a content management system kind of framework and do it the DevOps way and manage their releases and have version control and stuff like that. And it's just like, you know, you don't, it's not saying one way is right and one way is wrong. It's just that, you know, the, the kind of the, the DevOps web ops way is more appropriate to these larger scale, mm -hmm. uh, higher stakes use cases. And that's just become, generally more accepted. Uh, and so now it's, it's, it feels like it's less of an, of a, of an uphill battle to convince people that they want to let go of their servers and they want to adopt these practices. Yeah. So you've, you've kind of come on this journey, which is a common journey in some respects from, uh, a sort of agency consultancy. I'm sure you probably still do some of that as well, but to having this, uh, product with pricing plans and et cetera, et cetera. But what, like what, what, what is it? What, what, what would I be using Pantheon for in comparison to, I don't know, these days, Squarespace, WordPress.com or Netlify and, you know, the kind of different um, aspects of this content service platform we have now. Like what, what, is, what is Pantheon doing in that ecosystem? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's a great question. So... The way to think about this is, um, you know, for people, individuals imp implementing a website for themselves or for their small business or side hustle, you know, th the tools that are out there right now for them mm. are frankly phenomenal mm. compared to where we were like 10 years ago, uh, you know, or, or even going further back, right? Squarespace, Wix, WordPress.com, they are really great consumer grade tools that let a non-developer person, you only have to be like a tiny bit technical uh, to be able to use them. And, and, and you know, and you can self, 
train the amount that you need if you have the time to invest in that and actually just run your own web presence. Um, and where Pantheon comes in is when a larger uh, organization, and it doesn't have to be a giant organization, it just needs to be an organization that has a specific brand and wants to have that expressed in a particular way because you run into the limits of what you can do with a templating engine, mm-hmm. right? So then you need to start to like own your own visual identity and brand. And that means kind of doing some amount of web development. And as soon as there's like a need for web development, our platform potentially offers a ton of value because of all the workflow, the guardrails, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And as you start to think into even more ambitious cases where maybe this website's very successful and it needs to be able to have a lot of traffic or handle spiky traffic, like our, our platform provides a ton of value there. Or thinking even more broadly, where it's not just a website I'm thinking about, I'm a, I'm, I'm thinking about my site portfolio. Uh, you know, if I'm a, a, a larger company, a multinational organization, a chapter-based nonprofit, a university that has five schools and 500 departments, right? They don't have a website. They have a big site portfolio. And what we get, what we did are in the best case, what we can give those customers is kind of like their own version of Squarespace that they can manage internally because you start with one of these really robust and mature open source content management systems. You, uh, sort of implement your flavor of that, make it into kind of a distribution model, and then we help you scale that out uh, within a large organization so that you, with the ability to still control and and, and have that governance, uh, uh, have your cake and eat it too from a governance standpoint. That's It's yeah. a very unique way to get the value of open source. Um, and, and out of interest, and, like how much, are, how much do you expose that open source to people who, I mean, don't care? uh in in that way you know like the kind of headless cms we get now uh we know there's developers can kind of do their thing and content people can kind of do their thing and they don't really care about the other parts and how much are you exposing what you're using under the surface these days yeah so so with our with the newest stuff that we've been launching which is more competitive with uh you know i want to be um express proper respect towards like Netlify and Vercel. They have amazing products and we're, we're early entrants into that space. But yeah, we, we are, we are competing with them for customers, particularly where there's a customer who wants that modern front end and a front end developer that doesn't want to have to worry about anything besides there's an API there, but the back end team wants to own it and actually have open source be the way they're delivering the headless uh, content experience because you know, it's super frustrating when you use Contentful and they're like, oh, you want to model your content that way? ka Or it's super frustrating if you're using a startup headless CMS that gets acquired or goes out of business, right? Like there's real yeah. reasons why you want to have ownership over the back end of a decoupled architecture. Yep. And we're able to give people, again, one platform that can manage both the front and the back. So we can make those projects way quicker to get up and running, way lower lower risk, lower cost to manage over time. We can give you support for both the front and the back end, like kind of one throat to choke, as they say. Um, and you retain ownership over all your data, all your content model, and your front end team doesn't have to, you know, to the extent that, you know, they don't have to deal with, uh, they're, they're able to, to get what they want from a Jamstack development uh, yep. cycle perspective as well. Also, you've, so to be honest with you, like I left the Drupal world some time ago, uh, when this sort of headless CMS, or I think they were calling it something else then, um, was still in very early days of discussion. But now with, I'm assuming, 
fill me in here with Drupal and WordPress, you can now do an equivalent as you can do with Jamstack, basically. And yeah, 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 yeah. So the, the, they, they've come a long way. I mean, we, we first started, I, remember I, did, I did a meetup in San Francisco mm. for headless Drupal in 2014. And it, like, it, it was like hot. It was, it was like sizzling then. I, and it I, draw, think, I, I think my time remembering of it is before. Before that, <laughs> wow. at least two yeah. or three well, years no, before he, that. Yeah, you, you'd meet people because I met people if in the Drupal community who were like, "Yeah, people headless. What are you talking about?" I had Drupal powering an XML API that would drove a bunch of Flash front ends in 2007. <laughs> like I was there. Uh, it's, it's not a totally new use case, but it was it was really starting to pick up then. But it was at that point, like, okay. Everyone can see there's the potential to do this, but there's not like best practices. Mm, there's mm. not any support in Drupal core directly for doing this. It's just like, yes, anything is possible okay. with open source. And since then, it really has developed into, um, you know, there are convergent best practices for both Drupal and WordPress. And they kind of have different flavors because Drupal, very database driven, structured yeah. data, like complex content modeling, reusable content, you know, WordPress, the, 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 the 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 real sort of holy grail that the people are actually building towards and getting close to is this idea of more of like an isomorphic experience because they've decoupled their content editor experience effectively with Gutenberg. Like they're, okay, they yeah. ship a completely, yeah. Yeah. you know, a react based content editor on the back end, And the idea being like, well, these blocks, could, it, it doesn't, it doesn't quite just happen like that, but that, that people are getting that kind of like low code, no code content composition thing with WordPress, uh, WordPress's admin UI that then gets rendered as a modern front end. So it's super fast, super scalable, and can be highly interactive. And, yeah. you know, you can actually do both with both. Like WordPress has data modeling capabilities and Drupal has like Layout Builder, which is drag and drop. It's just not yeah, as Yeah, that was uh, its big powerful tool in those days, wasn't it? I mean, I don't know if it's still called the same, but in, in my day, it was called Views. I don't know if that's still yes. the same thing. <laughs> yeah, view, views is like the thing you use to expose database. That's exposed as the database. Yeah. And now they have an in-core, a sort of like, okay, but what if I want to have a page that is some content here, uh, okay, yep, a yep, view yep. here, and then below it, a different view. And you can kind of use, do a little, do a little co co composition thing. It's kind of like uh, back in the day, they had panels. That was yes, a contrib module. And, and sort of a, a, like a down, uh, like a third generation successor to panels is now yeah. shipping in Drupal core. Huh. And you can make that work with a coupled front end yeah. too it's kind of yeah. cool okay so on this whole decoupled thing when you refer to on your your feature overview decoupled cms is is that kind of what we're referring to this sort of yeah yeah, yeah. The, the, it, the language around this in the industry is really interesting because it's still evolving and um uh, it also gets worse because everyone who's in the market is also trying to SEO various things that people yeah. are googling and then it's like the terms change anyway the way to think about it i think is Decoupled really refers to an architectural concept, mm. right? It's, it's when you take the pieces and you pull them apart. And then in that context, you'll have a CMS. Often people call it a headless CMS. We should probably call the page headless CMS or call yeah. it decoupled architecture if we were getting all of our words right. You have a, in a decoupled context, you have a headless CMS. Maybe you have other things too. There might be a little e-commerce endpoint. You might have some other microservices that are feeding things in. And then you've got your front end, basically. And so, um, and, and really for us, the, we, we, we've been sort of talking this around this, uh, you know, in the context of decoupled CMS, because we're, you know, 99% of our business today 
today is for you know helping people getting the most out of their open source CMS. Uh, but the net new thing that we've we're launching is actually the front end component. So mm-hmm. there's going to be another you know we'll have some more collateral on the website about front end sites as as the the more and more as as we get more and more into the market. Yeah. But the, the 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 actual new cool thing is we'll run your front end too, and yeah. then we'll make it easy to connect those things. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um. And you have a, I think this is sort of a familiarish world to, to, to people. I, I sort of like the fact that Pantheon has been through this journey for some time. I can't quite remember when you started, but I almost feel like it's been a while. I feel like I've, I remember seeing Pantheon when there was like two or three of you. So, <laughs> <laughs> I, for some reason, I've got a bad feeling I'm going to really embarrass myself and mix you up with a different company, but I thought you were in France for some reason. Oh no! So there is a diff- There is a different company. It's called Platform.sh, and they they yes. emerged like a yeah. couple years after us, but s- kind of some same ideas. They're awesome. Like they're yeah, really great that team. That was it. Now um, yeah. Damien yeah. and Uri and those those folks, yeah. okay. and, and now Bob well, back, and everybody. Back to you. Back to yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a couple of things you have here that sound interesting to me, which um, I think reflects the heritage. But I, I would be interested to know how you've uh, evolved them over time. Sure. So one thing, although I think I saw in your blog that this might be uh, deprecated soon, the local dev. Is yeah. that true? You're deprecating it soon anyway? So, yeah, yeah, we, yeah. Are, we are. We are. What, what, so, yeah. what, the local dev piece, we, we, we were like, and it was kind of an experiment to say, like, can we build a GUI uh, to make it easier for people to use this stuff mm. around this open source local development environment management tool called Lando? And oh. uh, the honest answer is Lando is just grown by leaps and bounds and local dev was struggling to keep up with it. And most of the users were like, no, I'm actually fairly comfortable with a command line interface. I don't need this GUI. And Lando actually gives me a lot more power than local dev. So we, you know, we have like a small number of users that are still on it and they love it, but it's a small number of users. And so, you know, in order to focus our resources, we're going to sunset it so we can. And uh, how does that compare to something like containers, for example? Yeah, so, th- so that's what Lando does. It's an amazing ah, okay. project. Uh, like okay. Lando is like a whole f- management framework for running containerized local development environments. And what they've what they've done is they've lo- they've worked with and in some cases just copied what other vendors do. So depending on what platform or cloud you're using, you can kind of get a pre-built recipe to mimic it locally with Lando. And then they have tools for like pushing code and pulling content and data around okay. that make it like as, as essentially just a lot simpler to manage that local development stuff. It's awesome. Oh, I've not heard of it before. Okay. And then, uh, interestingly, this other one I noticed here, Quicksilver. Um, mm. what, is, what is that? You say WebOps. I have a rough idea of what that might be. But, um, yeah, tell me more. What's Quicksilver? Yeah, so so Quicksilver is a way of ex- – so, so what we – we, we provide out of the box is kind of like, here's some very standard things that every team we believe should have. Like you should have a testing environment that's different from your development environment. That's different from your production environment. Yeah. And you should actually be able to do branch based development so that you're not all sharing one development environment. And you should have workflows for shuttling content around as well as deploying code. Cause that's kind of the thing that makes the website web as a use case tricky is that you have to manage all this content in addition to managing the code. Yeah. That's what makes web ops kind of distinct from DevOps. But within any particular 
team or company or whatever, there are a lot of other things that are going to be a standard part of your workflow. So like every time we deploy to test, we need to kick off yada, 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 yada. And so Quicksilver is just this, this sort of open webhook system for whenever any of the workflow stages are engaged, you can just run a script. Um, and there would leave lots of like a whole big library of examples for people to just like plug and play for like Slack notifications or trigger a Google Lighthouse test or, um, you know, uh, sanitize all the data because there's sensitive stuff in there that developers shouldn't see or what, what have you. Mm. Uh, but it's open-ended so people can really develop whatever they need okay. to automate more and more of their workflow. And the idea being like, we want to get the developer time pointed at higher value, um, you know, things that are going to help the business grow and, and succeed in its mission versus spending more time manually doing, you know, data munging and stuff yeah. like that. And then with things like this, like Quicksilver, you've also mentioned, we haven't mentioned, but I can see on the feature list, deployment pipelines, integrated version control, multi-dev cloud environments, et cetera, and the CMS cores themselves. Um, they're all sort of leaning on uh, open source components. So I think the, the, the question from, from me, which I probably don't want me to ask, but like how... How integrated is Pantheon with all those components if someone wanted to, uh, you know, on, on, the, on the, the version control flow, be able to do something more external or take things elsewhere, integrate yeah. with other pipelines that aren't in Pantheon, that kind of thing? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that there's kind of two questions in there. One is how how much lock-in is there with Pantheon? Like how proprietary are we? And the answer is... Um, when it comes to the actual website itself, not at all, mm -hmm. right? You can take your website and move it wherever you like. Yep. Like that is, there is no vendor lock-in with Pantheon. Um, when it comes to the workflow and the things that we provide out of the box, I mean, it's it's hard to replicate elsewhere. It's a lot of work to build a Pantheon. So if you want everything we offer and you can DIY it, but it'll be a pretty extensive project. Yeah. Um, but, you know, maybe people only need a subset of what we offer and they can they can uh, model that elsewhere. The second part of the question, though, was what about integration with other services like other deployment yeah. pipelines, other yeah, version that, that controls? So, similar principles, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is where we're like, we're, we're like very open in this regard right now. And we're actually building more towards this. Um, you know, when we first started circa 2012, GitHub was still in its early days. And we didn't yeah. feel like we could, we could say like, hey, in order to use Pantheon, you have to use this other vendor over here. And so we built our own version control repository management, blah, 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 into there. And that's like the backbone of how we do deploys. And it's been a, very valuable. However, over the past 10 years, it's now really clear that like our version control uh, service is a little bit in the way mm. of a lot of people's workflows. More sophisticated customers kind of like they don't they they need to integrate with it. They don't want to use it directly. And I think that's just clearly the trend. So like, for instance, with our front end sites product, it does assume that you have a GitHub repository yeah. where you're managing your code. Uh, and that is going to be true of all of Pantheon in in uh, in you know before too long. Uh, and then in terms of other deployment targets, you know, part of our value is really being able to manage large scale um, and being able to really gear, get, deliver the guarantee that, you know, what worked in dev will work in test will work in prod. We can't make those same guarantees around scalability or uh, confidence in your releases. If the deployment target is not us, 
Um, but we don't prevent people from mm. deploying elsewhere. And we have customers who will, um, <laughs> there are some customers who will use our free sandbox uh, system and really get a lot of value out of it because uh, they, they sort of use it for free development work and, and deploy elsewhere. And, and that's okay. Yeah. Uh, like they're, they're web developers. They're, they're trying to build their, their presence, <laughs> their business. Um, and, and we also have some really sophisticated customers that will do like a dual deployment. They're like, yeah, okay, well, great. We deploy with Pantheon, but we also use their automation system every time we do a deploy to also kick off a separate process that pulls the same from the same repository and all that other stuff. And we keep a, a spare uh, going on demand because with, for our business, it makes sense to invest in that extra cost to have a second, you know, failover instance on a totally different provider. That's yeah. rare, but we do have people who do it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so Pantheon has, has been in, in this business for a while. Um, what's next for you? And what do you think is next for this ecosystem that you need to be on top of? Or hopefully are, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Well, so the, 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 the front end, the modern front end Jamstack JavaScript world is, is tremendously mm. exciting. Uh, and I think it's exciting because the quality of end user experiences that can be built with that modern tool chain is just it's just yeah. it's just better. It's yeah. inarguably better. It's like you know it doesn't. It's not magically better because like you can still build a, a janky website, right? But but if you do it well, like you can develop. Particularly like more and more web traffic is mobile. Mm. Like the 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 uncanny valley between app and site is just getting more and more blurred, and that a lot of that is being driven by those modern uh, JavaScript front ends. I think that's a that's a huge thing for us. We're just putting our first foot into that uh, pool now, and we're going to continue wading into it over the next several years. That's going to be really exciting. The other thing, and I think that's, that's going to be there, like what that means for the traditional open source CMSs is also uh, really interesting. Like regular CMS is not going away anytime soon yeah, because no, doing no, a no. decoupled thing, it is more complicated. It's not for everyone. And it's, uh, it's but also it is, it's, it, in enterprise, you know, there's a lot of these enterprise level CMS that many people have even heard of that still sew up oh, a gosh. lot of work. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like, oh, don't even get me started on like the, all of the behemoths that are just lumbering along. Um, <laughs> So, the, but the other thing I think is really exciting for our industry, and it and it's gonna be an interesting question for the open source community, but also just the web mm. and and digital marketing at large is we're going. I would say we're in the early stages of a massive sea change in how people gather and utilize data, uh, and how people monetize and deliver value. Uh, through the web, mm. you know, the, the, uh, device privacy is going up. Browsers privacy is going up. Regulatory restrictions on what you can and uh, do with data legally are becoming tighter and tighter. And the models that have built out the whole MarTech and ad tech and social media ecosystems that have really kind of, def they were the, they were the real driving forces of the web over the last decade. Those are all going to get churned over because if you can't do, um, you know, if you're, if you're ad tech and MarTech can't use third party cookies, like so many of those businesses just completely yeah. unravel. Yeah. Um, and if social media platforms can't micro target, uh, customers as well, their ad, they can't support their ad revenues. And that's going to just 
change an awful lot of things. Um, and it's going to be probably painful for some folks, but I think it's going to spur a lot of innovation for, for the, the web more broadly. I'm actually kind of bullish on this as a way for, you know, I think the real web 3.0 is not anything to do with cryptocurrency. Right. I think, I think it has to do with like, uh, a, a a web where more people are like take ownership of their data and are able to build more interesting and interconnected things. So that's a, it's a good point. And, but I sort of wonder as a business, how do you think you can, um, I don't know, I don't know if capitalize is the right word, but uh, provide the tools that people might need, I think is a better. Yeah. Term. So I think for, for us, the um, it's, that's a, it's a totally fair question, yeah. right? Like it's, you don't like there are, um, how do you, what's your strategy for thriving in a changing, uh, marketplace? And so I think there's one assumption I make, which I may be wrong about, but is that like our fundamental value today is still going to be valuable, you know, in the years to come, because you, you, you're, it's not like websites are going away. If anything, they're just becoming more important, right? Cause the owned channel, you can't rely on social media. If you can't rely on social media to micro target your customers and you're just doing more broad based stuff, mm -hmm. how do you attract the right audience? Well, you have to create more compelling content that that audience cares about. That's how you're going to get the right people is by you giving them an experience yeah. that's going to matter to them. So I think that the importance of tools to really deliver great customer experiences, which is the core of what we do, those are not going to go away anytime soon. And then I think there are so many companies and nonprofit organizations and educational institutions that are just realizing that they have to come up with a, a strong first party data strategy that does it ethically, mm. um, legally, securely, but you know, where they earn the right to some amount of information about their audience, because the truth is people do when it's done right, people do prefer something that's tailored to them, right? Like nobody wants to like creepy surveillance, but also everyone in surveys is like, yeah, I prefer a personalized experience, of course. Right. And so I think, and the, like the way to strike that balance properly between a business and their, uh, their visitors, their prospects, their customers, their fans, their followers, whatever, Right now, like so many folks have just outsourced that to these third party providers, and that's just not going to be the way of the future. And so I think there's an opportunity for us as a platform because we have the whole thing of the actually delivered web experience as a thing we we help people succeed with. We own the user experience from the edge CDN down to like the database and the file system. We can help them, you know make uh, gather first party data in, a, in the appropriate way and then make use of it in ways that are also not just not just ethical but also effective mm, mm. that's a bit more heady like i don't have a product for that yeah, now but this no, is where we're doing some it's research a challenge. it's a challenge and so you don't go into the same trap you've just said of becoming the the owner of all that uh giving it it's an overused word but empowering people without uh, taking the power away i suppose <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. The, the, yeah the model has to be we help the customers own it for themselves yeah. not we own it for them yeah and that's tricky i don't think anyone's really proven that yet but like all the technology is there to do that yeah. it's just a question of whether yeah. you can make it yeah. easy enough because it's other because the problem is not the technology it's actually just that it's super complicated mm. and difficult mm -hmm. so it has to be like productized to a point where the customers can really take ownership over yeah. it and do the right things and you know that's that's going to take years for us to develop but it's you know we'll have yeah. years of this industry unraveling so <laughs> So very, very finally, because I think we touched on it briefly, but like 
cold hard facts. What's on the roadmap for the next six months that you can talk about and want to talk about? Yeah, 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 yeah. For for the next six months. So we have um, uh, we have a a bunch of stuff. There's like a, we're, we we have a we are in market now with our front end sites uh, capability. But there's a whole roadmap for that. There's a lot of we're going to be re- releasing on that uh, product line throughout the year and into next year for sure. Uh, so we have starter kits for WordPress and Drupal. We have support for Next.js and Gatsby. But there are other frameworks. Um, there are uh, things that we want to be able to do to make like uh, you know multi environment stuff work. Like what if you want two front ends for one back and lots of things like that that are going to be rolling out uh, over the course of the year. Um, we have um, some improvements to our support uh, for WordPress, particularly for their multi-site networks capability. So where you can have like, um, you know, it's like it's uh, one instance of WordPress, but like with many different faces. So like if you want to, if you're a university mm, okay. and you want to give yeah. every professor their own blog, yeah. that and sort of thing. Regions um, and things like that. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And then we have some... Um, some stuff that's like more for the IT audience, right? So we have some some uh, some work coming out around log forwarding. It's people who want to be able to run like uh, scheduled data import, data export, mm. those sorts of capabilities. Like being able to do more of that natively within our platform versus them having to like like because again we're we're like we're saying hey we're going to give you this web ops uh, infrastructure and they're like yeah but if I still have to own all like how much are you actually taking on versus how much do I have to keep running? Yeah. So so some some stuff for that audience. Um, yeah, in the next six months, I'd say those are kind of the, some of the big themes that are going to come through. And then um, yeah, I'm hoping later in the end of the year, we'll start to see some other stuff, um, you know, come come online. We have a we we just finished releasing finally to the last of the customers, a next generation dashboard for our own product user experience. So there's like just a ton of usability improvements that are going to come along with that. But some cool things maybe around like data and analytics. But I, I don't think I can't promise that for the next six months. <laughs> it sounded like there was a lot anyway, so I think you're good. But yeah. Okay. Well, Josh, thank you very much for joining me. Hey, Chris, thanks. Thanks so much for the conversation. It was great. That was my interview with Josh Koenig from Pantheon. I have a few things to share with you on the YouTube. I've kind of given up on uh, Twitch, to be honest with you. I wasn't really getting anywhere with it. I'm now just focusing purely on YouTube. So in the past week on Monday, I looked at. Mixing documentation and React with Mintlify. I also looked very, very briefly at Motive, but couldn't get it to work. So mostly Mintlify. That was um, okay. And then on Wednesday, I looked at Diffusion B and Amazing AI. These are both macOS desktop-esque tools for using Stable Diffusion and seeing where I could get with those. Tomorrow, Friday... I will be doing a second installment of Joe Diva's Lone Wolf Flight from the Dark live play. And I think next week I will be spending a bit of time looking at uh, NixOS-related uh, tools. And Wednesday I haven't quite decided. I'm trying to make Wednesday more of the creative day. Um, we'll see. And I finished the Storytelling Collective Flash Fiction competition. I have a few gaps, but you can go and read all of my content there now. Um, so that's mostly what I've been uh, getting through on, on Medium. And I am also very pleased to say that my new website is pretty much live at christianchiller.com using Astro. And that's a blog I need to fill in about how I actually did it. There's definitely some things missing, but uh, a lot of the fundamentals are there. My events, 
with some gaps. My podcast feed is there now, my video feed, uh, most of my blog, writing, games and client work. There's a lot of other things I'm yet to add in, but uh, you can find a lot of it there now. Um, so that's good. Very pleased that it's finally up, even if it's not finished per se. All right, then. I will be back next week with another interview and or roundup of links. And until then, thank you very much for joining me and take care, everybody. I hope you enjoyed the show. Find out more about me at chrischinchilla.com, where you can find show notes, sign up for my newsletter, and find all of my writing, games, work, and video links. There's also details on how to get in touch with me. And if you want to get even closer to what I do, Join my Discord server for behind-the-scenes discussions and helping me produce my shows and work. Mm-hmm.